This is Behind the Curtain at L.A. Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. On this edition of the podcast, I'm joined by conductor Speranza Scapucci. My motto as a conductor is that we have to start from the score. Tradition is obviously something very important that we have to treasure, but my way of approaching the score is I buy a new score, and I try to look at what Puccini wrote. And Puccini, he literally writes every bar where he wants the ritardando, where he wants the ralentando. Scapucci is conducting six performances of L.A. Opera's upcoming run of Puccini's timeless classic La Boheme. Welcome to L.A. Opera. This is your debut with this company. How's it going so far? Wonderful. It's a great company. I actually uh, was here before uh, in the years that I was a pianist and coach to work with the young artists, but it's really great to be back in the capacity of the conductor of Boheme. Uh, we've been rehearsing now for about a week, uh, and it's wonderful cast, two casts, and I couldn't have wished for a, a better opera for my debut here, mm-hmm. because it's a wonderful masterpiece. A great cast. Uh, Nino is a, a wonderful friend of L.A. Opera. Um, talk a little bit more about um, each of your cast members and mm-hmm. and uh, what they bring to the table. Yeah. Well, Nino is a fantastic artist, wonderful voice, and a great human being. So it's great to, to work with her. Um, she's making her debut as Mimi. So I am particularly excited because... Uh, she will make the debut in this part, which I'm sure she will sing for a long time with me. So I can I can sort of um, put my mark on it. And we are working very much on the musical side of every little detail. Mario Chang, who's singing Rodolfo um, in one of the in the first cast, so-called first cast, uh, is wonderful. And um, I had met him when he was a young artist at the Met Lindemann program. Uh, beautiful lyric voice. Giorgio Cauduro, our baritone, is uh, Italian, and I had worked with him also in the, in the past on Manon Lescaut, so it's nice to find him here. Uh, and uh, members of the Young Artist Program, um, Nick Brownlee and Kiyun, are wonderful, you know, fresh voices. One of the great things about Bohème is that people tend to forget that the characters of this opera are young people. But the orchestration sometimes is very thick, so <laughs> it's hard to find people who are young who can sing it. But I have to say, I think the, the um, Mr. Domingo, Maestro Domingo, and has done a great, great job at putting together this this cast of young young people yet accomplished singers. Um, and I'm working very hard with them at the piano to polish the characters and the language and the little details that Puccini writes in the score that sometimes we, we oversee because we're so used to doing Bohem. Yeah, that's what, that was one question I was going to ask is, you know, obviously this, this opera is one of the most famous operas, one of the best-loved operas. Um, they keep stats on number of performances. In the most recent season, La Bohème was the third most performed opera in the world. We know it, we love it. How do you 
approach it with a freshness? How do you sort of take away all the layers of interpretations and stuff that we've heard over the years and stuff that we've become used to and, and really get at its core? Well, my, my motto as a conductor and as also a conductor who's been a coach in, in my past life <laughs> is that we have to start from the score, from the words and the score. And um, tradition is obviously something very important that we have to treasure and that we always have to bring onto the table. But my way of approaching the score is I buy a new score. It's brand new. And, uh, Sitting on the table in front of us, very large and thick yeah. score. <laughs> and, um, and I try to look at what Puccini wrote. And Puccini, believe it or not, is one of the most detailed composer that we know. He literally writes every bar where he wants the ritardando, where he wants the ralentando. Of course, if we get obsessed just with that, we lose the big picture. Mm. But uh, why a certain bar is written at tempo rather than ralentando, that's my job to ask myself why. And usually usually the answer is pretty clear in the words. And um, some things have crept into the score and we don't really know why. Uh, you know, traditionally, Shonar, uh, let's say, slows down in a certain bar and it's not written. And then you think, why, why did we go there? Um, so my job is somehow to try to bring it back to, to maybe what he wrote. Um, sometimes, you know, you have to work around that. And, uh, but it's great to have a, a young cast because then you, you, you can shape all of that and try to find the truth behind the notes that Puccini wrote. Mm. That's really beautifully said. Um, I still, I think it would be difficult. I think it's really... Um, to like really commit yourself mm -hmm. to that task of you know of stripping away all of the layers mm -hmm. of everything um, what what sort of um, uh, commitment fortitude does that mm -hmm. require from you as as an interpreter well, first of all, you need to study the score a lot um, but also um, take the time with the singers to rehearse it um, my my mission as a conductor is, I think, to to try to be present as much as possible in the rehearsals so that you can work and dig those things out and be able to explain to a certain singer, look, Puccini doesn't really write it like that. He wrote this, and maybe it's because it's on this particular word. So let's try to see if it works. If it doesn't work, of course, we're going to go and do whatever is always done. But you have to try and try it try it once uh, so many times you know Puccini's just because it's a big or orchestra sounds too loud and covers this, the voices but then you go and look at the score and it's written three pianos in the, in the strings and you think well <laughs> you know so um, there's a way of balancing out the sentimental parts of Bohème which, which we cannot avoid uh, and we shouldn't, because that's what's so beautiful about this music. But w the core of the piece is in the action of Act One, Act Four. The little, you know, the fast music, all of that has to be brilliant and has to move along because it's theater. It's literally theater and music. And so that then when the big, you know, Osuave Fanchulla and the big arias come, then we, we can really enjoy those moments of great lyricism. Mm -hmm. But I feel that self-indulgence in this music is a bit risky. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people do it, though. 
yeah, sometimes it's it's great, but it goes <laughs> against the words. For example, the Italian language, which is my language, is very specific where the accents in the words are. So if you stop on a note that is unaccented, a syllable that is not important, just because you want to self-indulge, <laughs> um, fine, but it's wrong. It's like, you know, if I'm saying... I want to go to the supermarket, and I say, it's, the word is supermarket, right? So you say, I want to go to the supermarket. It doesn't make any sense, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. So, um, Very unnatural. So there's a way where you can indulge, but do it right. And that's the very tricky thing about this score or any Puccini score. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that you talk about um, the language uh, so much, um, I heard uh, Maestro Muti mm-hmm. talking about the language in reference to Verdi's operas, and he's so detail-oriented. Mm-hmm. He's so particular. There's something about the importance of of language in Italian opera, isn't there? It's, there's something... It, it feels to me like there's something more special about the treatment of words in Italian opera. Is that just sort of my crazy feeling, just listening to no, folks sure. like you and, and Maestro Muti talk well, about it in this way? I've worked so much with Maestro as a pianist that, of course, uh, I embrace his his um, way of working totally, and I try to bring it to the table myself because I do believe... Actually, it's not just the Italian language. I'm, sor- I'm sure Wagner is the same with the German language, Strauss, let's not even talk about that, uh, French music too. But there is something about the way composers like Verdi, but even Bellini, Donizetti, they they literally took the text and then put it into music. So every accent that is written in the music, in the strings or in the oboe or whatever, is linked to a syllable. And that's why let's say Maestro Muti, who is, you know, I would say Verdi, one of the, if not the greatest alive, um, everything makes sense, but then the singer becomes a sort of instrument. Not the singer, I'm the big star, just follow me, you know. And that's what, what the challenge is in trying to put, even an opera like Bohème, is that they are actors, they are singers who are actors, but there's a sense in the way the composer wrote it that if he writes a little accent in in the in the music, it's because someone has just said something. It's linked. It cannot be it cannot be separated. Mm. I would say that the Italian language is serves itself to this because it's a very melodic very melodic language, but it's also a very specific language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When did you first fall in love with opera? Uh, my dad is a big opera fan. He used to go to the opera in Rome when he was a kid. He saw Callas and all the big singers singing in the 50s and 60s. So when uh, when I was growing up, uh, opera was always on the radio. And I, um, as I studied as a piano soloist in Rome, I um, my parents always brought us to the opera. So... I remember clearly my first experience at the opera was watching Sonnambula in Rome with Krauss and uh, June Anderson singing. Mm. And um, later on, my parents brought me to the cinema to watch Carmen with Placido Domingo and Julia Minis Johnson. And I just fell in love, love with that movie. And I 
went to see it I think about 10 times <laughs> so so I, I always loved opera although I didn't pursue a career in opera until much later in my life I went through piano solo chamber music accompanying then ch chamber music with instruments then leader and then eventually opera mm -hmm. and then I found my way yeah. what was it that drew you along that path that pulled you into the world of opera I love the human voice and I love theater. So I think that opera is the perfect combination of all of that. The human voice is singing, uh, orchestra, theater, uh, costumes. It's like, it's like um, so much has to go into the production of an opera. And I love the feeling of building that, being part of that from mm -hmm. the beginning to the end. Mm -hmm. Here in the United States, we have sort of, I think, a really exalted opinion of how opera houses work in Europe, mm -hmm. um, and in particular in Italy. Mm -hmm. We sort of pine away for the idea of more government funding here. It's not going to happen. It's just the way that it is here. Do you feel like our picture of how the opera world and the opera houses work and are successful and are funded in Europe is accurate, or do we have more to be thankful for here than maybe we we think you know it's funny because when when you're in europe they envy the way you guys do it here we all wish we had more private funding because for example in italy just to give an example of my country there's so many problems um in funding uh culture because everything is government funded and if our nation is having you know, financial problems, then, of course, culture is going to be the first thing that goes. So I think the perfect balance would be to have both, a little bit of both. I think Germany has figured it out pretty mm. well. They, they're not doing bad. They have a good balance. Um, but I, I think that it would be great to have both the private sponsors that can put in the big money, but also the government, because culture, in any, way, in any case, is something that Every nation should treasure as one of the most important things. You know, it's without culture, we're nothing. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your time as a, as a coach, mm -hmm. um, and I'm curious how that informs. You've talked a little bit about it already, but um, you know how how that shapes what you um, envision at your role now as a as conductor. Mm -hmm. So, if you take more responsibility on the podium because you have had this uh, aspect of your former life, um, if that informs more what you do on the podium uh, or changes maybe uh, how you respond to the musicians uh, on the podium as conductor now? I feel that I'm lucky because I have had those 12, 15 years of behind the scenes experience that makes it for me I can't separate the role of the coach with the conductor because mm. I think that a conductor who does opera, you can do it if you haven't been a coach, of course, you don't have to. But if you're, if you're going to do an opera, you, ha you, you need to know how the singer breathes, how to deal with the chorus. And so in a way, that's, I feel that that's a strength that I have, an extra you know, weapon, let's say. <laughs> um, it's easier for an a good opera conductor to go into symphonic than if you've only done symphonic and then you start working with singers it, you could totally do it but I mean it's a completely different thing uh, because then 
for me, I, I work with the singers first, uh, then I work with the orchestra, then I work with the chorus, and then it's you put all the pieces of the puzzle together. So That takes a lot of patience. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't imagine all conductors have that kind of patience that I, I envision that you know some some of these people parachute in and say okay here's how we're going to do it and then you know it's off to the pit and then let's do it yeah well a lot of it is also because of course uh there are lots of conductors who have great careers and are flying all over the place all the time you know doing a lot so the, to, to do an a full production of an opera you need to book yourself for about six weeks I love the process of doing it, and I feel that by doing that, uh, I can justify also my ideas. Um, if I came in at the last minute and said, no, we're going to do it like this, I feel like I don't have the leverage to, to say, but we worked on it. So, mm. so that doesn't mean that it can't work the other way around. But I do think that singers appreciate if you're there because then you, you're actually working with them and um, you're getting there together. And by the time you get on stage with the orchestra, everything's cleared out. You already know how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. What percentage of your career is now in the opera houses, mm-hmm. and how much are you doing concert uh, symphonic work? It's uh, quite balanced. Of course, opera is prevalent, but I just did my Concertgebouw uh, debut last week, mm-hmm. 10 days ago. And I'm doing uh, quite a bit of symphonic next year in Italy. So I'm trying to um, make sure that it's going to be equal because I mm. love opera, but I also love the symphonic repertoire. And I think it's important to do both. The technique is different? No. No. Absolutely not. Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> let's say that in opera, you can use your left hand more to, to govern the stage rather than you know with with the orchestra you need the left hand for cues for for helping the singers but i would say that's the only difference <laughs> <laughs> excellent does puccini get enough credit uh for his wonderful orchestration um or does some of that get lost because we just hear these wonderful soaring melodies um I, i'm just thinking like bel canto opera the orchestra gets to be kind of a cushion and the singers do their thing over top Wagner, it's like this total thing where the orchestra is like a character in the opera. Um, Puccini, to me, feels so nicely integrated with the singers and the orchestra and the you know the violins get to play the soprano lines and the cellos play along with the tenors and and it's a wonderful. It feels, at least, you know, from an audience perspective, like a really great synthesis and integration of uh, a orchestra into what the singers are doing. Does he? Do you feel like he gets good credit for being a, a great I orchestrator? Hope so. I hope so, because he's brilliant. It's really, what he does is absolutely brilliant. And as I said before, if sometimes the orchestra feels too heavy, it's because it's not taken care of the right way. Because actually the way he orchestrates, yes, it can be thick, like let's say in the third act duet with Marcello and Mimi. But we were just doing it today, and I was looking at the score, and it's always pianissimo until the big, you know, climax. But even the big climax is like two notes, and then it's diminuendo immediately. So it's easy to get carried away with Puccini, and it's (laughs) my job, our job as conductors, not to. I imagine in just about every single interview you do, the question comes up Mm -hmm. about uh, a woman conductor, opera house, 
stage, whatever. Are, do you get tired of that? Is it at some point do you say, come on, it's 2016. Like, can we mm-hmm. stop asking about that? Or is that still a subject that comes up and you feel like we need to have more activism on this topic? I, we need to do you more. Know, at, at first, of course, I didn't want people talking about me because I'm a woman. I just, your pride as a musician is like, I want them to talk because I'm a good musician, a good conductor, a good pianist, whatever. But actually, even if we're in two, 2016, uh, I think that is, it is important to, to keep talking about it because we will get to the point where we won't talk about it anymore, and that will be the moment where finally there will be complete equality. And um, I do believe that we live in a society where we've passed that bump because there are wonderful women at the head of orchestras and more and more, and... Uh, I think people are starting to realize that there's in in music there is not women and men just musicians. Whatever you have to offer has nothing to do with your gender, and so no, it doesn't bother me, and I'm quite happy to that people will point that out because we live in a society where we we just need to be aware of the fact that those barriers are gone and uh, conductors or musicians have to be hired for their talent and what they need have to offer not because they're woman or man mm-hmm. what do you think it would take to get to that point that you say where mm-hmm. where we don't talk about it anymore i think that uh first of all um theaters and institutions have to keep being bold and courageous and not be afraid which most of them aren't but uh, you know here and there you can still find some some resistance i think it's only a question of time uh, we started much later, uh, we women, uh, to step on the podium. And so it, it's going to take a little time for us to catch up. The new generation of musicians now, women are more open to the idea of studying to become conductors. And so the more people study, the more people there will be, and the more, more people then will be have the ability and qualifications to, to be hired and and sooner or later we'll catch up and then then it's not going to be a top also when i think that when the new generation of the kids that today are the kids of today they grow up seeing women on the podium so for them it's not even a question that that's not a job for them so it's also a generational thing i think mm-hmm. you mentioned your uh, debut at the Concertgebouw. Mm-hmm. um also next season right is mm-hmm. your debut at vienna state opera is yes. that correct Yes, in, in this upcoming season in November. Must be exciting to yes. think about that great opera house. Oh, yeah. It's one of the best in the world. Best orchestra, too. What else on tap for you coming up? Um, I Also, another in very important debut for me, uh, mostly for sentimental reasons, is uh, Rome Opera. I will conduct Così Fan Tutte there in January. Uh, then in Liège, in, in Belgium, I'm particularly excited because I'm doing a um, premiere of Verdi's Jerusalem, which is the French version of Il Lombardi alla Prima Crociata, and it hasn't been done fully staged, I think, in Europe for a long time. And it's going to be completely uncut with ballet music and everything. And I'm also excited to do my symphonic debut with the Orchestra Toscanini in Parma, and then so many other things. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's great. That's yeah. great. Well, we're delighted. Looking forward to this run of uh, of Bohem. There is a restaurant in town. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they've uh, taken you there or not. And I actually haven't mm-hmm. eaten there, so I can't vouch for it. But it is called Speranza. Oh, really? I didn't in know Silver that. Lake. So um, it might be worth checking oh, out. Yeah. 
Oh, by the way, the most important note in Bohem is on my name. Perfect. In the tenor, sorry. So, <laughs> I don't know if it means anything, but come see it. <laughs> Speranza Scappucci is the conductor for six performances of L.A. Opera's run of La Boheme by Giacomo Puccini, performances from May 14th through June 12th. For tickets and more information, visit laopera.org. This is Behind the Curtain at L.A. Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lawrenson.